Romans chapter one verses twenty-four to thirty-two. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worship and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature, and the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receive in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manners of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, manners. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil. Disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, hornless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. This is the word of God. For those of you who are.、Um, In the mentoring program,、uh, just a couple、uh, quick notes. If you have not yet received the、uh, reading sheet for this next month,、um, which starts tomorrow, the, uh, uh, you need to, to speak with your mentor.、Uh, your mentor should have a, the, the copy for you. So if、uh, if you've not received the the reading sheet. If you haven't gotten that, see your mentor.、Uh, and mentors, if、uh, you didn't bring them with you or whatever, we do have some extra copies in the office there.、Um, also, you should. Last week we we passed out the、um, week one devotional, and we had planned on this week giving all the devotionals, but our copiers broke down. Both of them、uh, broke down, so we have week one. And week two available.、Um, if you're in the mentoring program, you now have a mailbox, which is on this side by my office,、uh, by the steps. So check your mailbox. You'll have week two. If you didn't get week one devotionals last week,、uh, there are extra copies of that at the, the Welcome Center. Any questions on that?、All、right. So by the time you leave today, you should have. Week one and week two of the devotionals, as well as the reading、uh, sheet. You know, the one that has reading on one side, and you can write down your questions on the other side. So you should have all of that when you leave today. Good. Okay, we are wrapping up chapter one、uh, today, and、uh, Harry Armstrong. Or、uh, Ironside, I'm sorry, Harry Ironside,、uh, a great、uh, pastor of the last century, 
when he was writing his uh, commentary on the book of Romans, he said that this chapter that we just looked at from verse 18 through our text today, verse 32, he said these are the darkest pages in all of Scripture, the most difficult for us to look at in all of Scripture. We may not all agree with that, but they certainly are dark pages, dark verses, difficult things. They're also a hotbed of Christian political discussion. It opens a broad discussion, for instance, on on whether there are different levels of sin and therefore different levels of punishment for those sins. Christian leaders debate the biblical teaching on homosexual and lesbian activity. So, you know, how does it fit in the Scripture? What does the Scripture say about that? And it creates this discussion on the equality or inequality of sin and their punishment. Well, my sermon today is not aimed at those issues. However, I do need to address them because they are, in a sense, the 800-pound gorilla in the room. They are the thing that, as we read it, raises those questions in us. This is the clearest passage in all of the New Testament on the issue of sexual identity. And while some Christian leaders have tried to soften the words of Paul here on the issue of homosexuality, no one can seriously exegete this passage without concluding that that lifestyle, whether it's a monogamous or whether it's a free-willing lifestyle, is opposed to God's design in creation. Paul, as he is describing the natural sexual relationship, does not use the normal terms for man and woman in this passage. Instead, he uses the term male and female, taking us directly back to Genesis 1. His intent is to take us back to Genesis 1. And through this whole section, to take us back to Genesis 1 through Genesis 3. God created humanity, male and female. That's what Genesis 1 tells us. This passage addresses, then, not man and woman, but physical bodies as male and female. Not what makes a person feel like a man or feel like a woman, but the actual physical body of male and female. And that is what is meant when we read that homosexual and lesbian relationships are against nature. That is, it is against how the human body was created from the beginning. To go against that natural creation, then, is to go against God, is what Paul is telling us. That's the whole argument. From verse 18 through verse 32, it's not just about homosexuality. It is about humanity going against God as creator. And the things that we do that go against God. Any form, then of same-sex relationships are condemned in this passage and in all of Scripture. Yet, 
When we read through this passage, we come to verses 29 to 31. And in those verses, there are 21 different types of sins that are listed, all of which violate nature, all of which go against God's created order. The discussion about God's wrath being revealed against humanity ends with this extensive list that is condemned in this passage. Sins that you commit, sins that I commit, that all of humanity commit. Since this concludes this great discussion of Paul, from verse 18 to verse 31, discussing sin and rebellion against God, this extensive list proves that God does not view one sin differently than the way he views another sin. All sin is rebellion, which is why the gospel states that the rejection of Jesus Christ by the towns and the cities of Judea would fall under greater judgment than the judgment of God against Sodom and Gomorrah. Human beings are judged not on so much on the action as they are on the intent. The degree of rebelliousness, the knowledge of that rebelliousness. Still, homosexual behavior, lesbian behavior, is singled out in this passage not because it is considered a greater sin, but because when that sin is accepted by the culture, by the society as a whole, it shows just how far that culture has moved from what God created us to be. And so our theme from this passage states that the purposeful rebellion of humanity against God provides the rationale for God's wrath. Human beings, in their rebelliousness against God, that provides all the rationale that God needs to pour out his wrath against sin. So, let me support that. What I just said, let me support it as we look at how the Apostle Paul structures this passage that we're looking at from verse 24 to verse 32. And we see in here that Paul provides three reasons that God abandons humanity. Three reasons that God abandons humanity as he pours out his wrath upon us. You see, it's important to see that connection, the connection between God abandoning us and the wrath of God coming upon us. God's wrath is revealed in his abandoning or his giving up of the human race. And we are told three times in this passage that God did that. We see it in verse 24. Therefore, God gave them up. Then in verse 26, for this reason, God gave them up. And then in verse 28, God gave them up. Three times. The manifestation of God's wrath 
against sin comes by his rejection of the human race, by giving us up. As he removes his blessing, his presence, his goodness from us, and leaves us under the effects of the curse. So, let's notice first that he abandons humanity because they swap the truth about God for a lie. Swap the truth about God for a lie. That's the first reason that he gives, that God gave them up. This is taking us back to, Rome, or to Genesis chapter 3. Back to Adam and Eve. It is the choice of Adam and Eve who listened to the lie of the serpent and swapped out that lie for the truth about God and his character. Verse 25, because they exchanged the truth about God, for a lie. They, Adam and Eve, and then all of humanity since then. All activity by human beings since the beginning has continued to promote this, this acceptance of the lie, the lie about life, rather than the truth about God the Creator. In 1952, Time magazine printed a letter by a homosexual in their magazine. And in that letter, that individual wrote that he hoped that one day homosexuality would be culturally accepted as a normal lifestyle in America. There was an editorial comment that was placed at the end of that letter in 1952 by the Time Magazine editorial board. And this is what that um, editorial statement said. Frankly, that gives us the creeps. Time Magazine, 1952, after this letter by the homosexuals saying that it would be, you know, hope to be a normal part of the lifestyle in America, the Time Magazine editorial board said, frankly, that gives us the creeps. That was 1952. Today, Time Magazine promotes the homosexual lifestyle. They have swapped the truth about God the Creator for the lie. But over the past decades, it hasn't only been the issue of homosexuality. It's happened, for instance, with rebellious children. The progression of children's rights to have an abortion without parental consent. It's happening right here in America, in our schools. The right for underage children to be sexually active by receiving the pill. It's their right by giving children the right to sue their parents if they don't like the way their parents live, the rules of their house. All of this has exchanged God's natural relationship between parent and child that we see throughout the Scripture to the lie that says that the children can control their own lives. Yes, it's a lie. Those lies continue. 
Well, there are TV reality shows that portray abnormal life as normal. Reality. The way we live. We have no-fault insurance and no-fault divorce because it's nobody's fault that we sin, that we violate the laws of God. Those are just a few of the ways that our society has turned away from the rightness of God's created order and turning it upside down, calling the right wrong and the wrong right. As humanity chooses the lie rather than the truth about God and his creation. Well, God abandons humanity because they swapped the truth for a lie. But notice as well that they serve the creature rather than the creator. See, that's the second reason that we're given in this text for God turning them over or God abandoning them. We see it again at the end of verse 25 that they worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. From the moment that Adam and Eve chose to serve the serpent and that lie, rather than to worship and obey God, human beings continue to make that same choice over and over and over to serve creation rather than the Creator. We choose our own way, and by doing so, we violate our own nature. As we try to force the created order itself to fit into our way of living and support our rebellion against God. It leads the world back towards the chaos before creation. As the world falls apart, or as Paul puts it later in the book of Romans, all of creation is groaning awaiting the redemption of the sons of God. And yet, down deep, we know that we are not gods. We know that that, that we aren't gods, but we turn what Ecclesiastes calls eternity in our hearts. We turn that upside down, and we turn it towards creation to make creation God. How do we do that? Well, in some places... And in some times in history, we had the worshiping of the sun, of the moon, of the rivers and the oceans and other parts of earth, turning those into the gods as the Egyptians did. Or we could do what the Romans and Greeks did, and and we can begin to make the characteristics of humanity into godlike people and worship those gods, in the image of humanity. But today, in this Western world in which we live, we have made me God. We have made humanity God. We've done it through science. We create the objects that control our lives and and help us so that we don't need God anymore in our lives. We make bombs that make us mighty, technology that takes us off into the stars. Our entertainers and our athletes have become godlike to us, as the death of Kobe Bryant revealed. We pray for the Bryant family. We pray for the other families that were involved in that crash. 
But we also pray for the families of those in the earthquake in Jamaica and Puerto Rico and in Turkey and in all of the other places in this world where death has struck unexpectedly. Yet the response of the United States to Kobe's death proves the godlike status that we have invested in our athletes and our entertainers. God gave us up to perversion because we serve the creature rather than the creator. But third, notice you humanity do not submit to God. We do not submit to God. That's the third error that we see in Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. First, they swapped the truth for a lie, and then they served the serpent rather than the creator. And third, our original ancestors in that Garden of Eden chose their own way rather than submitting to God's way. We see it in verse 28. Since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God turned them over. They didn't see fit to acknowledge God, to bow to him, to submit to him. That's the essence of human depravity. By rejecting God's truth and choosing to serve the creature rather than the creator, serving to choose our own human desires rather than obeying the direction that God has given to us. God has turned us over. That piece of fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil looked good, tasted good, and would make them wise. Well, that lie continues still today. Humanity refuses to submit our fleshly desires to the authority of God as he created us. Like those who stoned Stephen, we stop up our ears so that we do not hear what God has to say. We will not listen. We will not submit. We choose to rebel against God. And so we have these three acts of rebellion in the Garden of Eden that have continued in the heart of all humanity. So God gave them over. He sent Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, outside of the Garden of Eden, outside of the the place of blessing into the midst of a cursed world, without his presence. The evilness of Every heart led eventually to the flood, where the thoughts and intent of every heart, the scripture says in Genesis 6, was evil all the time. This is the evilness that infiltrates every heart to swap truth for lies, to serve creation, not the creator, and to live in disobedience rather than to submit to God. Those are the three reasons that we are given in this passage for God giving us up. And what does that produce 
It produces three results of God abandoning humanity. God gave them up to what? That's what this text tells us. God, the creator, gave up his creation. And in doing so, it resulted in terrible things happening. What were they? Well, we have three results that are given to us about God giving us up. These three point directly to the fact that we are created to reflect the image of God. That was why we were created. So that we would reflect God in our passions. We would reflect God in our actions. We would reflect God in our thoughts. And all three of those, because they have been corrupted by rebellion and sin, all three of those things are the results of God giving us up. So notice first, the dishonoring of their bodies came from the lust, the desire of their own hearts. You see, by removing himself from this relationship with humanity, by abandoning us or giving us up, to ourselves, to the the decisions that we made when we said, no, I will not submit to God. No, I will accept the lie rather than the truth. By doing that, God stepped back from us, removed himself from a relationship with the human race. And by doing so, God removed the standard by which we would know what was right and what was wrong. Can you imagine... Attempting to draw a picture. A picture with no model from which to work. Let's say you were an actor. And the movie director is there, and the movie director says, I want you to act like Shablats. What are you going to do? How are you going to act like a Shablat? You wouldn't know how to act like a Shablat because I made that word up. You wouldn't have a model. You would have no idea how to act that way because there was nothing for you to follow, nothing for you to imitate. You cannot act like something that you cannot see or know. Well, if you're supposed to imitate God, if that's what we are created to be, to be image bearers of God and to to bear his image before the world, but you've never seen God, then how do you know how to act? That resulted in human beings following the desires of their hearts rather than obeying and imitating God. Or as Paul puts it in Galatians 5, following the lusts of the flesh. Whatever the heart desired, human beings began to do. And that's what we read in verse 24. God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Human beings, having rebelled against God, told God to get lost. 
but it was human beings who became lost. They began living like an explorer without a compass, getting loster and loster, as the saying goes. God ought to be the center of human passions. He ought to be the center of, of the way we think and the way that we act. All of our heart's desires should be towards God. But when God gave us up, when God is gone, there is no idea of what is right or wrong. No direction to follow. No example to imitate. Instead of honoring God with their bodies, they lived dishonorably because they knew no moral path. The center of right was removed. But notice also their dishonorable, unnatural passions became the result of that lostness. Have you ever been lost? My wife has. My wife told me of a hunting experience when she and her sister went hunting with their father. The two of them kept each other in sight as they were walking through the woods, but neither of them knew where they were going. And so they became lost, and their father had to come and find them. Well, that's what it is like when the human being has lost God, has lost the sense of where the goal of life is. We begin to follow what other people say is right or wrong. We become so lost that what would have seemed so wrong before now begins to seem right. And that's what we see in verses 26 and 27 that God gave them up to dishonorable passions of the lesbian and homosexual behavior. How lost is a person that does not understand that those behaviors are not normal? We have children present, so I will not go into a discussion of the sexual experience. But it doesn't take a genius to realize that if all human beings chose that path, being either homosexual or lesbian, that within a generation, there would not be any human beings, would there? And that's what verse 28 points out. I'm sorry, verse 26 and 27 point out. It is against nature. We have rejected what God means by male and female. And in doing so, we have rejected reality. But notice their debased mind is what causes them to do such foolishness. Three results of God giving us over listed here. First, humanity is lost without God as a model for living. Therefore, we dishonor the passions of our bodies. Second, humanity in its lostness practices those dishonorable passions. But third, third, in that lostness without God, humanity's minds become debased. Debased by fear, by lust, by anger. We begin to act madly 
as verse 28 points out, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. In a Batman movie, and I am not recommending that you watch the Batman movie, I'm just using it as an example here. In a Batman movie, a fear gas is loosed over Gotham, resulting in people in their fear and the mass panic killing one another, beating one another up, and all those things. Well, that is what Paul is declaring has happened to all of humanity. To all of us, we have, in the loss of God and God's standards, we have become mad in our minds. The human mind begins playing tricks. No one can think rationally or rightly. We see this in the application of science, where Brilliant scientists refuse to acknowledge that there's a God, even though all the evidence points to the fact that there is a God. I pointed out before, Richard Dawkins, in his second book, after having in his first book declared that we are idiots if we believe that there is a God, in his second book, he says there is a really rational reason for knowing that there is no God, because an alien from another universe brought life into this universe. Brilliant, I think. Science rejecting God, though the evidence says God must exist. But what about the production of nuclear weapons as one nation fears what another nation might do, even though both nations know that nuclear war is suicidal? Smokers who get lung cancer continue to smoke. Drug addicts and alcoholics continue to do drugs or drink, even though they know that it's ruining their lives and their marriages. Men and women turn to pornography, though it destroys the relationship of a husband and a wife. Road rage kills hundreds of individuals every year, and yet still people validate why they have the right to be angry when they're driving. Abortion has killed almost 50% of the African-American population in the United States. And yet the African-American leaders continue to promote abortion as a right choice. This is what happens when God is removed and the minds of the human race have no standard, no model of what is right or wrong. Their minds become warped. They cannot think clearly. In the end... When God abandons humanity, his laws are rejected. His presence is shut out of the culture. His word is ignored, resulting in three reactions to God abandoning humanity. For two centuries, the leaders and lawmakers of this country recognized that the greatest guide to lawmaking was the Bible. Even men like Benjamin Franklin, Thomas Jefferson, Individuals who admittedly did not fully believe the Bible or were even deists still openly declared that the laws of God were necessary to build a government upon. As a result, this nation, while not a Christian nation, was guided by many Judeo-Christian principles. 
And yet look what we see in verse 32. It says, though they knew God's righteous decrees. Those righteous decrees have kept us from going too far in this debased human living. But those days are gone. This country has joined the rest of the world in accepting as normal not only the homosexual and lesbian lifestyle, but all of the 21 different activities of wickedness that we read about in verses 29 to 31. And what is the reaction to all of this? Notice they comprehend that they deserve to die, but they don't care. They comprehend that death is the end of that lifestyle, but they don't care. Have you ever heard about the murder rate in Chicago? Do the politicians care? Doesn't seem like it. How about the homelessness in California or Washington State? Do I need to remind you of the opioid crisis or the high level of suicide in this nation? Paul writes that the human beings know God's righteous decree and that to violate those things will lead to death that they don't care. Verse 32. Those who practice such things deserve to die. When the AIDS crisis arose in the early 1980s, the rate of homosexual activity plummeted. And then political pressure increased to find a cure. Billions of dollars were provided by the government for research so that human beings could continue to practice the homosexual and lesbian lifestyle. Yes, there were more things involved, but ultimately, that's what it boiled down to. Even death did not re- uh, cause them to refrain from sin. And so it is with every activity of sin. Look at those sins in verse 29 to 31. Those are the sins that all human beings commit. Notice they continue doing their wickedness no matter what the consequences. You see, when God and his guidance, or what we might call the law, is suppressed to the point that God gives us over, then human life continues to to plunge over the cliffs as the wildebeest crossing a crocodile-infested water of the Mara River in Tanzania. You see, that's what Paul means when he stated in verse 32, they not only do them. They continue to do them. The wildebeest, they follow their migratory instincts. But humans ought to have intelligence to know what is right and what is wrong. Yet day after day, year after year, century after century, the human race continues down the same destructive path that it has since the time of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Just as foolishly as the wildebeest plunges over the cliffs into the water to be gobbled up by crocodiles or drowned by the mass of wildebeest in the water. 
Finally, notice that they convince others to do the wickedness. It is here that the human rottenness comes to its head. The drug addict sells drugs. I'm addicted. Why don't I make you addicted too? The alcoholic invites the friend in for a beer. The man addicted to pornography shares it with the co-workers. The HIV-infected homosexual passes it on to the next victim. Politicians pass laws for abortion, gambling, no-fault divorce, and on the cycle goes, just as verse 32 describes it, but give approval to those who practice them. God gave us up to our choices, and we chose death and destruction. This is a world without Christ. Hopeless, empty, lost, blind, wicked, uncaring. May God have mercy on us through Jesus Christ, our Lord. If this is all we had to look forward to, we would be, of all people, most miserable. But it is not. The gospel of God is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who will believe. First for the Jew, and also for the Greek. The gospel is our only hope. In the midst of all this brokenness, humanity gone crazy, in the midst of it all, the light of the gospel shines into the hearts of men, women, boys and girls, opens our eyes to see that lostness, that brokenness, and draws us into that light where once again we can turn our eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace. And so, as we conclude, do you understand why the gospel is the only hope for the world? Why we are, are asking you to study the book of Romans, to understand, as Julius has been asking every single week, what is the gospel? To know that the gospel is the only hope for a lost and broken world. Will you join in the foolishness of the world? or join in the rejection of the foolishness of the world by passionately pursuing God's glory. Let's pray. Father, open our hearts. Open our hearts to the truth. For we have for too long believed the lies. Even as Christians, so often I hear Christians making excuses both for their own sin, but also for the sins of the people around them saying, well, we shouldn't be so judgmental. And yet the reality is, it is not judgmental to warn somebody that what they are doing is plunging them towards death. Physical death, yes, but eternal death as the wrath of God is poured out upon them. Open our eyes to understand the greatness and the graveness of this danger that not only might we turn from it, 
but that we might long for others to turn as well. Grace greater than the deepest of sin. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing in preparation for the communion meal?